Well, hello there and welcome everyone. Thank you for joining me for our first ever Senior Times Wine Podcast. Now, my name is Mairead Robinson and I've been writing about wine for decades now. And during that time, I've tasted some wonderful wines and some not so wonderful, of course. I've visited many, many wineries throughout the world and I've met some great people. So I'm looking forward to sharing this with you through conversations and tastings with interesting folk from the world of wine. So perhaps you might like to pour yourself a glass of something pleasant, find somewhere comfortable to sit, and join me for today's conversation. I'm delighted to welcome my very first podcast guest, award-winning sommelier Alan Brar, who I have known for many years. Alan's not only an expert knowledge of wines, but also has a wonderfully uncomplicated way of sharing that knowledge. So, Alan, thank you and bienvenue. Merci. <laughs> Hello, how are you, Maurice? It's perfect to begin our wine podcast with a, a French sommelier. So, Alan, will you share your story of growing up and how your interest in wine began? Okay, Maurice. Uh, first of all, uh, I went to catering college uh, in the Toulouse College of Catering. So this is where I passed my uh, O-level exams and uh, the further... Uh, two more years, um, to which after I qualified into uh, baccalaureate technique, which is how it is being called in France. Uh, I have to say during that period, uh, I didn't only study about wine, it was all about cooking, management, and also waiting. So I was lucky to have been uh, offered a placement in London very young, I was uh, barely 19, and uh, I was right in the heart of London. So very quickly, I learned how to speak English. And uh, very quickly, I realized that uh, my little knowledge on wine, which I thought was very small, was probably better than average to compare with my peers. There I met an average girl. And of course, uh, it led me uh, to come to Ireland about three years later. So I arrived in Dublin in 1980. And I have to say, it is truly in Ireland that I completely lived up to my wine education. Uh, I joined a beautiful restaurant on Stephen's Green with Peter and Alicia White, who opened the restaurant Whites on the Green. I'm saying that because I was very fortunate that Peter, first of all, had a, a really good interest in wine. He'd pay any money sometimes to go to auctions and uh, would ask for my opinion on which wines to buy. And that was really, truly the start of uh, uh, my desire to, uh, to talk about wine, to taste wine. All the wine merchants were eager to do business with uh, Whites on the Green at the time. So uh, I moved on then to Dublin, to, uh, from Dublin to Limerick, and opened a wine club uh, joined to the restaurant that I was running. And that led to uh, wine education courses in the University of Limerick. Uh, with George O'Malley, who subsequently had just retired from the wine board. So uh, this really started back in the early 90s. And uh, in the last 30 years, I have been uh, uh, leading wine courses with the WSET, private courses, because in 2004, Christine and I opened our business. And of course, the School of Wine was part of it. So we led to do wine education courses, but also day presentations, uh, 
even hen parties, that sort of thing, any, any excuse to talk about wine uh, with fun. Uh, however, uh, the most rewarding part of uh, uh, imparting with my knowledge was with one-to-one -one young students, whether they came from uh, France, three of them, or even from Ireland, two of them. Uh, one, my latest one, was only three years old when I met her parents, and by the age of 11, she already showed talent for uh, aromatherapy. And uh, she's now in her 30s, and she's just got a job in Ashford Castle. Excellent. She, I would say she's my proud student. I'm very proud of her. Excellent. So well, this is uh, the, the area that I've become uh, much specialized, is one-to-one -one and then day presentations uh, for people who come to Kenmare uh, and, and look for entertainment on a rainy day. Excellent. <laughs> well, now, I did ask you to bring a, a, a wine along with you today, which you have done, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. It's French, of course. La Bastille saint Vincent. I'm probably pronouncing it all wrong. That's fine. I know, yes. I know you've had this in your shop for many years. So will you tell us a little bit about this? Yes. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was in the Rhone Valley for the La Découverte, the discovery of the Rhone Valley, which was a five-day uh, visit to Northern Rhone and Southern Rhone. So I ended up on the third day in Gigondas and met with uh, the family of La Bastide Saint-Vincent. And he tried me with his uh, new wine, a baby wine, you could say, which is in fact part of an appellation village controlé. What I mean is that the, the site itself is already uh, a classified vineyard. However, that portion of the vineyard of the Plan de Dieu, which is a Côte de village, uh, similar uh, uh, soil to Châteauneuf-du-Pape, to give you an idea of the quality of the area. Oh, indeed, However, yes. the vineyard would run down to a river point, which means that because he wanted to run his way, his vineyard in a, a biodynamic approach, he had to look for varietals that would be resistant to water maladies. So any, any vine that would be close to the river point would have to be other grapes other than Grenache and Syrah. And as a result, it's a declassified Côte du Rhône village. So the name of the wine is called Mademoiselle Garance, which is after the name of his daughter. Yeah, I knew I wasn't pronouncing it right, but anyway, continue. So I fell in love with it because it, it really was a very modern approach to uh, winemaking, hence looking for the, right, the varietals that would be best suited without having to manipulate and uh, with, you know, no chemicals or nothing. Yes, indeed. And so there's five grape varieties and two of them are clones. And the clones meaning that they are the result of a grafting. Grafting is a very natural process. Uh, grafting on Grenache rootstock. So, of course, Grenache is number one. So one of them is a Grenache with Cabernet Sauvignon, and the other one is Grenache with Malbec. So Excellent. when you look at the color, which I have in, in the glass, yes, Grenache tends to kind of orangey. This is a much more deep, almost purple, uh, a very attractive uh, color. So straight away, the... It feels like a summer wine. I remember when you asked me, would I bring a summer wine? Yes. Uh, I thought of a red wine that you could drink cool, not cold, not chilled, but definitely at sort of cellar's temperature, 13 okay. to 15 degrees at most. So all the aromas are really, you know, 
boasting in in the glass. Well, they certainly. So that's are. the first thing that impressed me. They certainly are indeed. Actually, now that you're talking about that, would you explain to people in simply uh, the best way to actually um, to to taste wine? You know, to sniff and to, to and to uh, to look at the color, and if you want to appreciate wine, what's the best way to taste it? Well, Maureen, there is actually a systematic approach to wine tasting, and I enjoy talking to people about that because when they come out of, a, of the talk, they feel a little bit more confident. And so, yes, first of all, you have to look at the glass, look at the color, but look at the brilliance of the wine, the shiny part, because if it's dull, probably there is something wrong. It has to be brilliant, shiny. So that's already attractive. You don't have to have knowledge. Just simply appreciate that this is a lovely looking yes. glass. Uh, then the smell. This is very important because the smell, even if, if later on the wine doesn't taste to your liking because everybody has a personal taste, the smell will give you the indication that at some stage the wine will taste exactly like that. So it's so, from, the eyes, from the eyes to the nose. Before so from the eyes to the, the nose. To, to smell the wine, you have to smell the wine the same way as you would smell perfume to your wrist, quite delicately. First, mm -hmm. you bring your nose into the glass like this, put the glass down, try to work your olfactive memory, hence bring back memories as a child when you were walking down the fields, down the forest, anywhere that could remind you of the sense that the wine is bringing to you. Do not be afraid of using silly words such as mushrooms, earth, wet leaves, anything, because it's all wine aroma associations. Of yes. course, wine is only made with grape and one particular grape variety family. So, uh, you know, say as much as you, you can, and eventually when you share that with friends, say at a wine club and so on, words will come more naturally, more repetitively, and then you can grow confident about expressing that. Then comes the taste. Of course, the taste is terribly important because it brings pleasure. Uh, pleasure means try to delay the swallowing part as long as you can. <laughs> that could be difficult. Three to five seconds is eternity, but if you can manage that, it's fantastic. So bring the wine in your mouth, turn your tongue around the mouth as often as you can, and then chew the wine as if you were eating it. Right. What it will do, it will help the aromas of sweetness on the tip of the tongue, saltiness on the sides of the tongue, and bitterness at the back of the tongue. The acidity will uh, show from the saliva buildup at the bottom of the jawline, and if it's very high, it will actually pinch you at the back of the ear. That should not happen. Everything is about balance, so we need all these things. We need alcohol, we need fruit element, we need acidity, we need ac uh, tannins, we need all these things. Hopefully, not one overwhelms the others, and this is why we talk about balance. Excellent. Well, that's... Quality, finally, it's about the length of flavor. If the wine is very sustained in your, in your mouth, then you can talk about quality. Excellent. Well, what a, what a perfect uh, masterclass in tasting wine. Yeah, and you. you know what I want to ask you, since you're such an expert with taste, can you explain to people what's the best way to match food and wine besides your personal taste? Like what actually really works well together? Well, first of all, we have to understand that wine does not change the taste of food. 
food changes the taste of wine. Excellent. So when you choose a wine, the first thing you have to ask yourself, will you be drinking it on its own as a stand-up wine? Then the fruit element is more important or the sweet element is more important. But then if you have it with food, then you have to ask yourself, what sort of food are you going to have? If you choose your wine as a starter, will it be a fish starter? Will it be a meat starter, etc.? So one way of recognizing how wine changes with food is to proper, perhaps have on a plate a slice of lemon, a pinch of salt, and then a slice of apple. Try first with a slice of apple, suck it, and then taste the wine. Repeat the exercise with a lemon, suck the lemon, and taste the wine. And finally, put a bit of salt on your tongue and then taste the wine. What you will realize in effect is that with the apple, the wine will taste bitter. With a lemon, the wine will taste creamy. And with a salt, the wine will, will taste mature and smooth. Well, I think that's fascinating. A lot of people would never have thought of that and wouldn't have known those facts. So I think I think this evening after listening to you, people are going to be taking their wine tasting a lot more seriously and matching the right wine with the right food. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro Phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Tell me something, um, in your shop, which I know is extremely popular in Kenmare, um, will you tell me a little bit about it? Um, because it's a very unusual wine shop, because you do the wine, and then your wife, Christine, she does the cards. And it's quite an unusual wine shop. Tell me how that all came about. Well, it happened pretty much on its own. Uh, I said to Christine, whatever we open, I'll put in the wines. <laughs> yes. So Christine uh, was adamant about the card agency because she could see that there was an opening just at that particular time. And uh, she was very incisive. I had to open the shop extremely quickly. And uh, so it would have taken me at least five more months before the wine actually took place. So uh, we had a different name to the above the door. It was known as Eugene, which was the name of the O'Sullivan's nickname uh, in Kenmare, because there are many O'Sullivan's uh, families in Kenmare. But about 10 years later, we realized that it wasn't doing a business a service because people didn't actually know how to call us. So uh, it was quite clear that as you enter the door, the wines are on the left, as you look at the shop, 
and the cars on the right. So we called naturally the wine shop uh, Alain and Christine. So this is how we are known as. Uh, uh, Christine always loved the cards, and this has shown, particularly once the recession was over, you know, by 2013, 2014, I could see myself how the quality of the cards was really increasing, and uh, it was very, quite a pleasure for me to see people coming in, enjoying the cards. Uh, the bright side of the, of the shop is on the card side, and on the, on the wine side is a much more dull uh, light, more seller, uh, uh, specialized and therefore the shop is not heated and that's very important. I like to say to people oh, that Ireland does not produce wine but it's probably one of the best countries in the world for storing wine. So I'm very proud to say we are really specialized on making wines taste better in our Excellent. shop over the years. <laughs> I think it's a very, very unique concept and for some people, I know myself um, going into your shop that it's a, if they wanted to buy a nice bottle of wine for a gift, but of course, they could choose a really nice card to go with the wine as well, you know, to, to make it into... That's the right, um, Maureen. Uh, they choose a car, they choose a chocolate, because we have uh, some beautiful chocolates in Kerry. Uh, this, I'm thinking of two already, one from Kenmare and another one from uh, uh, further north. And uh, we're very happy to uh, associate wines and cars and chocolates and cigars. And, a nice uh, mixture. And fine biscuits, you know, and a few Excellent. little goodies. So I'm sure a lot of people come into your shop for advice about wine. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever go, oh, not again? Same old questions. A lot of people would look for advice. And you're very good and you're very clear and obviously very knowledgeable. Do you ever get tired giving out advice to people about wine? No, Maureen. And I tell you, every time somebody asks for my advice, I, I, it's, I find it uplifting because it's, the rapport is, is, is very... It's, it's a compliment. Uh, I feel good talking about it. In fact, you give me five more minutes, I'll talk for five more minutes. No, I never know. It's, it's like love. You, you, you just don't, you don't get tired of it. <laughs> oh, spoken like a true Frenchman. <laughs> well, I have to say, for those of us who love wine, it, we don't get tired talking about it. So that's, that's quite true. So with, this, uh, with your shop, um, do you choose mainly wines from France or do you have wines from all over the world? I have absolutely wine from absolutely everywhere. I do not dictate uh, people's uh, requests. I just buy wines because I like them, but I also respond to people's demand. And I find that according to the season, whether our customers are coming from America, from the continent, or simply Irish people in winter, I will notice that some wine from certain regions will be more or less popular. Uh, even white wine compared to red wine, whether it's summer to, to winter. And I, I will purchase wines accordingly. Uh, Moret, just about 70% of the wines I purchase with uh, very good uh, suppliers within Ireland, as I have always done as a sommelier, and also import. But the idea of importing is not to compete with the people I'm buying from. It's simply to add to the versatility of our shops. So uh, we, we sell wine as a retail, but we also supply restaurants, sometimes hotels for wedding parties, and we can actually tailor import wines. And this is where importing wine becomes uh, important. Excellent. Talking about importing wines, I was just remembering you and I went on um, a wine trip to Chile some years ago. 
I've been there a couple of times and I know you have as well. But I remember on that trip being very impressed at the um, the investment that Chile, Chile has put into its wine industry because it had certainly come on in leaps and bounds since my first visit and they were beginning to produce some serious quality wines. But, and I said this to you before, I always think it's unfortunate that people think of Chilean wines as kind of cheap and cheerful and everyday wines, but nobody ever thinks they're actually producing some good quality wines now. And I think that's a bit of an issue for Chile. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, when we went there in 2009, uh, we, we went to some wineries where their wines were absolutely exceptional. That's right. Uh, some of the Chardonnays were made in a Burgundy style with quality to back it up, with expertise, intelligence and everything. Uh, there were also some poor wines, but that's, you can find that everywhere. So I would not uh, uh, pass the judgment on that. Mm. What I have found, though, is that uh, the market is what it is. Importers, they tend to simply respond to the market's demand. Chilean wines are regarded as what we call wedding wine. Uh, when hotels are offering wine for weddings uh, within a budget, the Chilean yes. wines uh, tend to have the preference. And perhaps uh, it's, it's that's all people want. And when they go into a shop like ours, maybe they are looking for something else. So even though I have wines from Chile, and in fact, some of them are quite rare, they're not the best sellers, and mm. it's, it's, an, it's just the way it is. Uh, on my own personal point, even though I do not have preferences over countries, because I don't think that you can qualify a wine with a flag, uh, nevertheless, uh, I think with the global warming and, uh, uh, you know, with carbon footprint and so on, uh, if I were in South America, I probably will only drink uh, Chilean and Argentinian and Uruguayan wines yes. uh, because of the proximity. So in Ireland, I tend to promote the proximity. So yes. uh, happily, I promote France, but I also promote Spain. Very proud to promote Portugal, for instance, which is being seen a bit like a newcomer. So it's quite interesting. Mm, I love right. Italy. As a Frenchman, yeah. I find that historically, uh, France and Italy on the wine side, we have so much in common, etc. Yes. To go back to Chile... Uh, it's, uh, one should never forget that a lot of the, the wine producers are coming from Europe and especially from, from Italy. People yes, have forgotten indeed. that. So, so they, they have brought their clips uh, and Italy and France, of course, because Malbec, uh, of course, uh, being a French grape, uh, Caminere is a Bordeaux grape, etc. So all these, you know, the, the connection mm. with Europe was always strong, uh, no matter what. Yes, no, I agree with you. And perceptions last a long time, don't they? I'm very, very fond of Portuguese wines. I get quite excited about some of the wines from Portugal, but a lot of people don't recognize the grape varietals and so they don't know what they're drinking because of the labeling and so on. There's so many issues we could talk all day. But one thing I'd love to ask you again from your expert point of view, I remember we, we were, they did open a bottle of wine we were at a tasting one day and you knew immediately the wine was corked. And I thought, I was just thinking so many people don't really know what, what it is when a wine is corked, what it means. So can you explain simply to people what it means when a wine is corked? How do you know? What does it smell like, taste like, and what causes it? Well, uh, smelling a cork wine is, is, is it truly what a sommelier or a good wine waiter should be good at because we are constantly opening bottles and the first thing we do is smell the cork because we don't want the customer to be punished. So if one is to recognize it, it should be the waiter first. The waiter, waitress, of course. So how do we pick it up? Is the first thing we, we look at the cork, we look at the state of the cork when we opened it. And if there is anything, any doubt, we smell it. Uh, 
And of course, if the smell is not satisfactory, we go further by smelling the wine. The smell of the wine should give you a, a, an almost definite uh, uh, answer, even though sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, the, the corked wine will definitely have cancelled out any touch of fruit. The fruit aroma of a wine will be completely cancelled out by That's the cork. That's gone, yeah. It's gone. So, so, so this is one. The smell of cork, corked wine will be like uh, wet cardboard, very dry wood, dead wood, that sort of aroma. Very unpleasant, mm. uh, very unpleasant mushroom fungus smell. I once smelled a corked armagnac, which I never thought was possible, but it happened. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of a meal, and really, it was very hard to get rid of the taste. Yeah. So it can be quite a punishment. So yes, we are a little bit more expert at that because it's practice, really. We are, we're, we're not genius about it. It's just that we've got more practice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's so great you're sharing all this knowledge with people. Tell me one final thing before we have to wrap it up. What is your own personal favorite dinner? If you were having the dinner to beat all dinners, the most romantic dinner or the last dinner of your life, what food and what wine would you choose? The ultimate pleasure of a meal. For me, the ultimate pleasure of a meal is the company. Because oh, you are in, in the right company uh, with the love of your life, with your best friends, everything changes. You forget about everything. And therefore, the choice comes very naturally. So obviously, good wine, uh, but, but good company, good mood. And suddenly, the, the wines you open uh, seem to, uh, to flow. And sometimes <laughs> even a bottle is not enough. <laughs> well, um, I, can't, I can't argue with that explanation, but just chance giving us a wine and a dish. Okay, a wine and a dish. Uh, I've experienced once, where I was paying a visit to one of my students, actually, who had gone home back to Bordeaux, and uh, out of gratitude, his parents had invited uh, uh, my wife and I to, uh, to dinner in their own home. And the mother was a uh, cordon bleu and she cooked a uh, margaret of duck uh, with uh, uh, caramelized figs. Oh, and without, without, uh, with that, uh, uh, the, the, uh, my, my boy and, uh, and I have picked a, a pomerol, which is a red wine from Bordeaux. Uh, almost 100% Merlot, but the grape variety at that level of quality is, is not the main thing. It is where does it come from? And this is one thing I would like to, to say to people is when you look at a bottle of wine, the grape variety is only giving you a, a, a bit of an idea of, of the fruit character, but the true character it comes from the soil. Of course it does. Alan, thank you so much. You're so good. Such knowledge is, is just wonderful. And I'm sure people have learned an awful lot listening to you. Well, I'm certainly going to enjoy that beautiful French wine. You've had that in your shop for 10 years, you said. Yes, yes. It was the first, uh, the first import. And every, every year, the vines are getting a little older and more mature. Yes. And from being a, a fresh, young, brilliant wine, it's now adding layers of uh, complexity. So even beautiful. though it's... I still treat it as a summer wine, but with a plus. <laughs> Excellent. Worth taking a trip to Kenmare to find it. Alan, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. It's been such a great pleasure. And I hope to get back down to Kenmare at some stage with the restrictions lifting and come and visit you there again. So I want to thank everyone who's been listening to us today. And I hope you found something interesting and entertaining in our conversation. Certainly, there's a lot to think about and a lot to learn. I look forward to my next podcast. So until then, everybody, cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye, Maureen. Bye-bye. Au revoir. La prochaine fois. Chin-chin. Chin-chin. <laughs>